Good evening. Hope all of you are doing well. Welcome. Today we're going to be learning Maseches Beisa, Taflam and Gimel. We have a little bit more ground to cover than usual. Uh, we're going to be starting at the Mishnah, which is two-thirds of the way down on Lamed Beis. Lamed Beis, a fresh Mishnah, which will actually be very helpful. Um, and we will be ending about 10 lines or so from the bottom of Lamed Gimel, Lamed Beis, uh, at the two dots there, Umagabe Minachatzer. So we've been discussing um, a variety of different halachos of muksa, and we're going to be continuing that discussion as well. We are, I'm sure at this point, familiar with the overarching machlokas that exists between Rabbi Huda and Rabbi Shimon as to whether or not muksa, as we know it, is in, in effect, which is Shittas Rabbi Yehuda uh, and Rabbi Shimon, who was, who was more makil. So we'll see a couple of these applications tonight as well. The Mishnah opens on Lamed Beis, Mid Beis, two-thirds of the way down, as follows. Ein shoven esacheres ve'en choschen esaniyar. One is not allowed to break earthenware. One is not allowed to cut up pieces of paper in order to uh, roast a particular kind of fish. The concern was that had it been in direct contact with the very bottom of the oven, it would burn. So what they wanted to do was kind of create some type of separation from the bottom. Now, the way that we have modified that in our ovens is we have, we have grates and then we cook inside pans. But if you were, in fact to take food and put it directly on the very, very bottom of your oven, it would scorch. So that was their practical concern. They didn't have our technologies. What did they do in its place? So they would take pieces of cheres and crack them up in a way where it would allow for the fish to not touch the bottom of the pan, or they would take paper of some kind, paper that wouldn't be combustible, I guess, whatever that was. And they would do that in order to prevent burning, but that wasn't allowed. We'll see why in the Gemara. The Engorfin Tanravikirayim, one is also not allowed to sweep out the uh, the ash from the various types of ovens that they had. One could lay them out smoothly. One could flatten out the ash to make sure, again, as mentioned, that the fish would not burn at the bottom of the oven. Seemingly an unrelated din. You're not allowed to roll two barrels, one next to the other with a distance between them. And then... Um, put a grate in between the two barrels. So if you could imagine you have two barrels, one over here, one over here, they're five feet apart. You take a grill and you put it, a, you know, a five foot grill across resting on the top of each barrel. And you put your pot of food in the middle and you light a fire underneath. Very practical, assuming that the barrels don't catch on fire. But let's assume that it was a contained fire. So that's a wonderful idea, except that it says the Mishnah, you're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to roll into place two barrels to then put the Kedera on top of them. You're not allowed to rest a pot on small pieces of wood. These words, and so too a door, are very difficult to understand. The Gemara will, will help us understand what it means. And the last in of the Mishnah, part three of the Mishnah, the last line of the Mishnah, three-fourths of the way down, one cannot be manhe, one cannot guide uh, an animal with a stick on Yomtov. Rabbi Eliezer, Bereb Shimon, Matir. Rabbi Eliezer, the son of Reb Shimon, this is the Reb Shimon of the Machlokas of Muksa. So this is his son. He's Matir. So the Gemara is going to say, oh, look, he's just like his father, that he says that there's no Din Muksa. We'll see that that's not the case, but that would have been our first impression. The Mepharshim here at the open of the Gemara indicates that we need some clarity as to what my time is referring to. And therefore, the Mepharshim on the side in the Hagos Fitzionim in the, in the uh, Oz Vahadar indicate that we're really talking about the first two Dinim of the Mishnah, when the Mishnah says in Shover Mesakelim and also in Choschan Asani are my taima, why are those things not allowed? Because you're effectively creating a Kli that filters, that ensures that the fish is not touching the bottom of the oven. Yes, you're breaking something and tearing paper. All that's true. 
But that's not in and of itself the problem. The problem is that you've created a solution to a problem. It's as if you've created a new cleat. Says the Gemara, uh, up to the two dots, we're about 15, 20 lines from the bottom of Lamed Beis, Mabez, Ben Gorfin, Tanur, Rikirim. One is not allowed to sweep out the oven at, at its bottom. Tani, Rebchia, Bar Yosef, Kamid, Rav Nachman, Vimiyev, Sharlefos, Elim, Kain, Gorfo, Mutter. If one is not able to cook without sweeping it out, then Mutter, they are allowed to do. So we would override this rabbinic concern for the sake of Simchas Yom Tov. No problem. Debisu, De Rebchia, when uh, Rebchia's wife was cooking, there was a brick that fell into the oven on Yom Tov. They would often use bricks because they maintain heat pretty well. They hold heat very well. Stones, we've seen this before in other environments uh, where uh, stones hold a lot of heat. So if they wanted to keep a certain temperature in the oven and uh, they didn't have a lot of wood, they would warm up a brick. So the brick fell into the oven, but her husband, Rebchia, wanted to have wanted to have something cooked properly without the brick in the oven because it took up a lot of space. Amar la Rebchia, Amar la Rebchia, Rebchia said to his wife, Chazi, I want you to see, I need very good bread. Now, in our parlance, we would not have understood the subtleties here. It's the way that they spoke, but it was code word for get that brick out of the oven. We want food cooked regularly. Again, it's different uh, constructs of cooking, but that is what was happening here. Amar le Rava le Rava says to his, uh, to his shamish, to his servant, Tavi li bar abza, I want you to cook for me a, uh, a duck. And please be careful not to burn it, implying that there should be a way that you can cook it without burning it, without being in violation of our Mishnah. He says that you are allowed to be sharken. What does that word mean? So the way that their ovens used to work is that they would seal in the heat by uh, taking some dough and there would be a cover on the oven and they would take some dough and they would put it at all around the space to make it effectively somewhat airtight to keep all the heat in. Uh, that was what they would do. Of course, the fire was outside the oven underneath since so there was still oxygen, but they were just putting a lot of heat from the, it's like a pressure cooker of some kind. That's how they would end up cooking. It wasn't completely airtight. That would be very dangerous. Uh, but you were allowed to do that. And then says the Gemara that it wasn't Stam, you were allowed to do this with dough at Amar Le, Anan Arikta de Pras Samchinan. We can use the mud of the Pras, the, the, the Pras River, the Euphrates River. Apparently, that was their locale. And the mud there was already, the consistency was not like very liquidy and also not very mud. It kind of was like a little bit more pasty. So that was already prepared and that was fine. As long as you set aside a section for which you were going to be using it uh, over the course of Yom Tov because it needed to be Muhammad. Says the Gemara, 10 lines from the bottom on Lamed Beis and Beis as follows. Amar Avina, the Kitma Shari. At any time, you are allowed to use ash. Now, it doesn't just mean ash because ash alone would not seal the oven. So what they would do is they would take some water and add it to the ash. That was not considered a problem of lush because ash and water don't really, it's not like adding it to flour where the flour absorbs the water particles and it kind of becomes dough. Ash doesn't do that. When it dehydrates, it goes right back to being ash again. It doesn't really work that way with flour. So this is going to be permissible as well. At the two dots, let's continue. We said, you can't take two barrels, put them a few feet apart, and then uh, cook meat in between them on a grate. And then the Gemara is going to get into some, uh, to some side issues about this. Amar of Nachman, how does this compare to the following case? Avanim shall be sakise. Back in the day when they needed to make a, 
an ad hoc bathroom, what they would do is they would take two stones that the person could sit on with a gap in the middle so they could properly go to the bathroom. You're allowed to put them side by side next to one another on Yom Tov, again, with enough space to make sure that they could go to the bathroom. Hold on one second. Why are you allowed to make that ad hoc bathroom with the two stones? We have our Mishnah. You're not allowed to move the two barrels next to one another. So why would you be allowed to do this? Says the Gemara, you're comparing things that can't be compared. It's different. When you have your two barrels and you put a pot on top of the, let's say you have your two barrels, five foot barrels, and then you have something going across, a grate, and then you put a pot on top. So that's an ohel. And you're not allowed to make an oil on Shabbos. Mashain came in our case, uh, that, that's not true. When you're taking the stones and you're making some type of, uh, of temporary bathroom, there is no ohel. So Amalei Rabazuta, the Rabashi, Elameata, according to what you are saying, that the concern is about ohel, then bana let's say that a person makes a temporary chair. And Itzaba is used many different ways throughout Shas and Masechus. In Masechah Sukkah, it was used as like kind of like a block of some kind, but this is a chair. You're making some type of chair that's made out of loose stones. Um, and there, there's no ohel. So should we say that because there's no din of ohel, that therefore making this chair should be mutter? Says the Gemara, no. Amar Hasam, when it comes to the sugya of building furniture in general, binyan keva asra Torah, we know that on a Torah level, that's completely not allowed. And binyan arai lo asra Torah, mi it's mutter, but v'gazru rabbanan al binyan arai mishum binyan keva. You want to build a chair, granted it's not permanent, but even if you have a binyan arai, we don't allow you to make that on Shabbos because it's exer de rabbanan, lest you then make a binyan a binyan kavua. Ve'hacha, but here by the, the avanim to go to the bathroom, the side-by-side stones with the gap in the middle, here, because we have a din of Kavod Abrios, we know that Kavod Abrios is a din, the language of the Gemara throughout Shas is Gadol Kavod Abrios so we don't actually translate it that way, it means that you can violate a din derabana because of Kavod Abrios, because of Kavod Abrios, we don't have the Gzeir Derabanan, Lo Gazer Be Rabbanan to take the stones. Therefore, if a person had to go to the bathroom on Shabbos and they were completely stuck and all they had was a collection of bricks, they could build their, their temporary bathroom out of the bricks. No problem. That's not a problem of Ohel. I, what about the Gzeir Derabanan of building on Shabbos? Oh, provided that you're not cementing the bricks together. In a Hanami, you're right. That would not normally be allowed. But here it's allowed because Kavod Abrios is Doche. And on the very last line, the Gemara presents a little bit of a unique uh, structure. Amr of Yehuda, this was a particular type of bonfire. Uh, you can build it, you can build it from the top down. Those of us familiar with the laws of gravity should recognize this is very, very difficult. How do you build from the top down? So the Mepharshim explained that you would basically hold um, a section of it which contained the wood up here, and other people would build the structure that goes underneath it. That's how Rashi explained. So I'll hold the fire. You come in and you'll put in the temporary bricks to hold it up. Lamala lamata shari, building from top to bottom is fine. Mimamata lamala, but to build it from the ground up, that is usr. This is true in regards to eggs. What is this talking about? Rashi says Rashi, top of this is Beitzos Gasos. We're talking about the eggs, uh, whatever the largest egg that exists in, in nature, whatever it is of a kosher bird. We know the ostrich egg, egg is huge. I don't know what the largest kosher one is. I don't think it compares in size, but still, whatever it is, as long as it's a tefach, then it could be a problem. Then it could be a problem of ohel because ohel at its 
in order to be, have an oil, it has to be a minimum of a tefach. So therefore, that's our concern. So let's say you wanted to put the egg uh, to be the top of something to be an oil. Great. Hold the egg here and have everyone build around it. Lamala, lamata is okay. Lamata, lamala is not. V'chein k'dera with a pot as well. V'chein puri, I'm making a bed as well. If you needed to put one together, have people hold up the mattress and then put the cinder blocks underneath, no problem. V'chein chavisa, the same is true with barrels. If you're going to make a structure out of barrels, barrel vertical, barrel vertical, barrel horizontal cutting across the top, under those circumstances, we go mi lamala, lamata. So it says the Gemara, we, the din of our Mishnah, lamid gimel, lamid aleph, on the second line, our Mishnah had stated the din vein You're not allowed to rest a pot on side uh, on top of uh, small pieces of wood. And we said v'chein bedelis. What does that mean? Bedelis bedelis salkadaitach. Rashi explains what this means. Rashi is about a third of the way down within the Rashi's dibur hamaschil bedelis salkadaitach umize hasomech kadeira bedelis. Who's going to hang a pot of food from the door? That's not normal. And it's interesting to note that Rashi writes v'halo tishaber. Our doors would not break if you found a creative way to hang a pot on it. It's not a very good idea, but our doors have a lot more integrity than their doors did. But Rashi says it can't. The door or is it the pot? No, the door. Maybe, I don't know. Yes. No. Hello, Tisha Bear. The, 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 our doors swing. Yeah, their doors probably swung also because we've already seen examples of their doors with hinges. We've yeah, learned. leather hinges. Huh? Yeah, leather hinges. Not in all cases because we learned... Sure. We learned and we learned already about the because Rashi elsewhere described where the door would have a receiving hole and the wall would have an extending peg and you'd pick up, it's very similar to our doors actually and you just literally drop it on they had some kind of structure like that it seems from Rashi not not like what your question was I know you weren't saying it but from the way you were asking it doesn't it doesn't seem that way it seems like the door would break and then anyways the Gemara says that's not what we mean anyways that a door can't be put on small pieces of wood, just like the pot can't be put on small pieces of wood. Namely, the small pieces of wood are muksa. And Tanu Rabbanan, why is that? That we can't put uh, small pieces of wood under a pot or under a door. This is the ground, uh, the ground, uh, most fundamental understanding of this idea. Wood, in halachic terms, has one purpose, and that is to be burnt. And therefore, if you're using it for any other purpose, it is not allowed. So therefore, you can't rest it on top of a piece of wood. Um, we use them as door jams all the time, but when they're set aside, they're that's different here. We're not talking about something that's we're talking about random wood that you find on Yom Tov. So if you want to just burn it, no problem. You want to use it to prop your door open and it wasn't muhan, then that's not allowed. Then that's not allowed. But that's what's going on in our Mishnah. And then what does what our Mishnah say in that regard? Our Mishnah then said, Birib Shimon Matir. Okay, let's go to the last din of our Mishnah, line six or five on Lamed Gimel Lamed Aleph. We said that one is not allowed to be manhig to guide an animal with a makel, with a stick. Maybe we should say, What do we see here? Rebbe Lazar Barib Shimon says there's no problem with taking a stick to guide an animal. So that seems to imply that he doesn't have a problem with the stick, which seems to imply that there is no muksa, which seems to imply that he holds like his father, Reb Shimon, who holds that there is no muksa. Perfect. Everything is kaftor referach, except the Gemara rejects this completely. Lo, it's not correct. Quarter of the way down. In this case with the animal, even Reb Shimon would agree that this is problematic. This doesn't look right. You're walking down the street with a stick and you're guiding an animal. 
that doesn't look right. It looks like you're taking him lechinga. We've had this word somewhere in Shas before. And lechinga means that it looks like you're taking him to the marketplace to sell him. And it kind of smells like mekahu memkar. It looks like you're trying to do business on Yom Tov. And that's not appropriate. And, and basically, this din in our Mishnah, according to Reb Shimon, has nothing to do with Hilchos Muktzah at all. It just doesn't look right. It's you know, the right language is a little hard to tell. Is it a question of Mekah Memkar? Is it Uvdin Dechol? Got to get into the halachic terminologies. But nevertheless, that's the problem. Chizra, the Gemara says a third of the way down. Rashi explains what a Chizra is. This Rashi is halfway down on the page. Dibur Hamaschel Chizra. It's Anaf Eitz. It's a branch made out of wood. Shehuchad. It's very sharp kikots, like a thorn. Ve'ra'ui l'tak'o b'tzli k'mo shvod shipud bo. These are the marshmallow sticks, right? Or, or probably bigger. Uh, it's probably for a spit is what they were talking about. But they're very sharp and they're very thin. What is the halachic status of these? Rav Nachman Asar. Rav Nachman says they're no good. And Rav says they're fine. Now, let's see. Where is this machlokas taking place? This, is a, this has two approaches in the Gemara. Here's approach number one. Biritiva. When this chizra, when this very strong, um, this very narrow, sharp stick was saturated with moisture, kule alma lo pligi de ostra. Everyone agrees that that's useless for fire. Kipligi biya beshta, when it is in fact a dry piece of wood. Man de osar, the shita of Rav Nachman, who says you're not allowed to use it. Amar lach lo nitnu etzimelo the hasaka. Like we learned earlier. The only time we're allowed to use wood on Yom Tov, the standing assumption of wood is that it's lahasaka, it's for burning. But you're taking this and you're using it as a spit. You're putting marshmallows on it. You're putting a, a small animal on it. So he says you're not allowed to do that. Uman deshari, the sheet of Rav says, how would he argue? Amar lach, this is such a great svara. Mali litzlos bo, mali litzlos begachel to. Who cares if I'm roasting food on it or if I'm burning it as part of the fire to then cook something above it? Who cares? Lemaisa, the same thing is happening because of this stick. Who cares? That's a very interesting uh, response. But the Gemara says all of this is approach number one. Again, approach number one is that uh, everyone agrees if the if the stick was moist, it cannot be used. And if the stick was dry, we have our machlokas. But Ika de Amre, almost halfway down on Lamed Gimel and Aleph, there are those who say that the machlokas between Rav Nachman and Rav Sheshes is only the opposite, be a beshta. Everyone agrees that if it's dry, everyone agrees that you can use this spit. This is a kula. This is a more lenient approach. Where do Rav Sheshes and Rav Nachman have their machlokas? Where the chizra, where this stick, this pointed stick is moist. The one who says that you're not allowed, that's because the because it can't be burned. The shita that says that it's mutter to use this even though it's moist. Is that had the wood been put into a very hot fire, or in this case, it's worded as a very large fire. So it's going to dry out very, very quickly. The moisture is going to be pulled very quickly. And therefore, no problem at all. If you have a huge bonfire and you have, uh, if the fire's already raging and you throw in a log of wood that is moist, within minutes, it will be relatively dry. Same assumption here. The Hilchasa, how do we paskin within these two approaches? Says the Gemara, we paskin that Yabeshta Shari, Ritivta Asr. It's interesting. This is not a clean understanding of either approach. It's kind of taking a little bit from both because it's saying that we hold that everyone agrees that Yapeshta is going to be mutter. That is, um, that is uh, each, each, each of these uh, parts of the psak are taken from other, from the various two versions pre- that precede and Ritivta Asr. And that's not a lot. So that's how we would paskin. If you wanted to cook with a, uh, if you wanted to throw in a piece of wet uh, wood, so said the Gemara says that that's not a lot.
Darash Rava, you know, we know we have in our, in our cases, when we have uh, bonfires, we have metal tongs that are used to move wood around, but they didn't have metal tongs. They had a tool called an oud, an aleph vav dalit, which was the tool, it was a wood tool that was used to move the wood around in order to make sure that the fire could continue. So halfway down, the Gemara says, it's six, seven lines before the new Mishnah, Darash Rava, Isha loti kanis ladir, ladir ha'etzim, a woman should not enter into the, the woodshed, Little mehen ud to take the piece of, of wood that is used to guide the pieces of wood inside the fire. And not only that, v'ud shenishbar, had it been that this tool had broken, asr lahasik obiyomto. Why would it be asr to use this? Why can't you burn it? Because the fish masikin bekelim, ve'en masikin bekelim. Because you're not allowed to use broken things, things that broke on Yom Tov, and if the ud broke, it's masikin bekelim, and that's not allowed. So the Gemara makes a diuk on this. This whole statement about the Ud was from Rava, and he implied that, must, and he didn't imply, he said, Ein masikim kalim, which sounds like he holds of muksa. Is that really true? Does Rava hold like Rabbi Huda that there is a din of muksa? How can that be? Rava had said to his servant, Tavi li barafs, I want you to make me some dinner. And I want you to take the innards of the animal that really should be categorically muksa, their meals. They have no use for you. You can't eat them anyways. Leave them be. But he told them to proactively take them and throw them to the shunra, give them to the cat. It's a whole meal. You don't have to buy the cans. Everything is perfect. This is a full meal for the animal. So says the Gemara, that's not a good raya. That's, that, that doesn't prove anything. Hasam over there, Kevin de Misarche, since they're disgusting, he was planning on this. And because he was planning on this, he knew before Yantif that there were going to be innards. He has a cat in the house. So good, everything is fine. And therefore he had the Adas, which implies that Rava does hold like Rabbi Huda, that there is a whole world of Muksa. That brings us to a new Mishnah, about 10 lines from the bottom of Lamed Gimel Amidal. So says the new Mishnah. Rabbi Eliezer Omer, no tell Adam Kisei Mishalafanam Lachsos Boshina. Toothpicks. You're allowed to take a splinter of wood to use them to clean out your teeth, no problem. That's din number one of the Mishnah. Din number two. One is allowed to collect from their chatzer um, anything they want. They can collect anything and they can use it to light any uh, sticks, anything that's on the ground that's uh, flammable. Why? Says the Mishnah. Because the assumption is, the standing assumption is that anything that's in your yard is muhan. That's what we assume is that in your head, you it's kind of like a halachic assumption that because it's in your yard, it can't mean, by the way, that the twigs that fall down on Shabbos. That can't be. We're just talking about twigs that were there from before. Let's say you have no tree that's hanging over your yard. That would make things more complicated. But it's all considered muhan. Now, uh, I don't know that this would apply for us. We'd probably still treat them as muksa. Whenever I'm walking down the street and the kids are kicking a stick, I'm like, just be careful. That That's probably muksa or possibly muksa. On Yom Tov, that may not be because it's mutter to light a fire. Do we consider that muhan if it's in my chazer? So the applications to today are a little difficult because we don't light fires that way, though it is mutter. In contrast with the Tanakama, who says that everything in our chazer is considered muhan, the Chachamim say, that which is right in front of you in your home, no problem, that you can light. And Rashi finishes the sentence for us, uh, 10 lines from the bottom. You're not allowed in the in the chatzar. So there's a distinction here, just a general machlokas of the psychology of a person. Do we assume that that which is in our chatzar is automatically considered muhan or not? That is a machlokas here in the Tanah, and we'll see more sources on this in the Gemara. Lastly, 
one should not create fire on Yom Tov, by rubbing wood together, by uh, taking flint stones, which are known for making sparks, they had a way of heating up uh, afar uh, in special ways. It's not so clear. I mean, Rashi speaks about this a little bit. Take a look at Rashi, two lines from the bottom. You know, afar, karka kasha, it's very hard ground. There was some special way to dig. There was so, so much friction, similar to the wood, I presume. Um, uh, from the tiles, the tiles on their roofs could get extremely hot. This we've experienced before. Uh, probably not so much with the tiles on our roofs, though they do get very hot, the architectural ones, I'm sure they do. But like if you go, like the ones in, in Israel, like the red ones, like those can get piping hot. They're really impossible to touch. You could literally scramble an egg on them. They're boiling hot. That's not allowed. Velomina uh, Mayim. What is that? It sounds a little bit counterintuitive. So what they would do is they would have water in a container and water refracts light. And if you hold it at the right angle, it can be used in some form like a magnifying glass and therefore generate that. And again, these are created when we were little kids. I remember in Hill Torah, we took magnifying glass and we, we got in trouble because we actually burned a hole in the rubber mat uh, that was supposed to protect us from falling and, and hurting ourselves in the playground. So our teachers took away the magnifying glasses. Good. Anyway, says the Gemara, you can also not heat up from the language of Libun, not Lavan, but Libun. You're not allowed to, to uh, make it that hot uh, intentionally. That's not appropriate to do on Yom Tov. And that brings us to the end of the mission. A lot of unique halachos here. We're not going to get to learn all of them because we're going to be stopping soon. But Amar Rav Yehuda, the first din of our Gemara, as we turn to the top of Lama Gimel Lama Beis, is as follows. Ochle behema, foods of animals. Ein behem mishum tikkun kli. There's no problem with you preparing those foods. Says the Gemara, that's not so simple. Eisve, we have a source in the Tanaim that seems to, to not agree with that. Rav Kahana, Eisve Rav Kahana, the Rav Yehuda, he asks as follows. Metaltalin. A person is allowed to carry good smelling um, leaves to smell them. Of course, you have to make a bracha on them. Uh, we we Ashkenazim, when we say Havdalah, it's usually on something that's ground up, and we say the bracha Borei Minei Vesamim. Sephardim usually do it on leaves, and the bracha changes to Borei Isvei Vesamim. Over the years, I've done a number of brisim in Sephardic uh, environments where I did not know what was going on, except for my own very narrow responsibility, but there were flowers and things going all over the place. Certainly, Certainly, uh, you may well know, there were certainly Hadassim, and there was a lot of brachos being made, and I did not, Rabbi Rock, I just, I'm like, just tell me what to do, and when to do it, and what brachos to make. I didn't know what was going on. So, of course, you have to make brachos on them. Rabbi Robinson has shared this from the pulpit before, I believe, a very interesting halacha. If you're not sure if something actually still has a smell, and you're planning on using it for besamim, you're allowed to smell it first, to see if it has a smell with which you could then use it for Abdullah, where you would then make a bracha on it, which is amazing. That's an unbelievable idea, but it's that. It's a birchas and then, and like any other, but you have to make sure that it's present. So that's, so that's anyways, a unique shita. Just don't forget to make the brachos. Sometimes we do this on Shabbos, like people have the uh, snuff. It has to actually be made, bori priha dama, bori priha eitz, whatever you're smelling, bori priha whatever the bracha is, because the whole point is to add brachos. We're supposed to have mea brachos bechal yom. But whereas during the week, our shmona esrays are 19 shmona esrays times three is 57 brachos on Shabbos, it's only seven brachos. That's a whole, it's a, whatever, it's a very huge difference. So when you're trying to chop around and get to 100 brachos, it's a little harder. So that's why, in, certainly in, in certain circles, people have this 
you know, these Boreis Vebisamim, you have to be careful what the bracha is. It's not simple what the bracha is on a lot of them because how finely are they ground up? What are they really made out of? It's really not so simple. Uh, so you should just uh, get cinnamon. When a ground cinnamon, we know what it is. And the Hadassim, we know what it is. But uh, unless you're a Bucky Badabra, ask a shot. Right, right. Enjoy it. If you smell it, if you smell it, is it, is, it on, is it subjective or objective? Do you get to choose what to make a bracha? Let's say you like the smell of something that doesn't smell good to anybody else. Is it Is it enough for you or not for me? I like the way pipes smell. I don't like the way cigarettes smell. Right. So I don't know. Anyways, so this is Rav Kahana's question. We said it on the very top line in the name of Rabbi Huda that there, there's no tikkun, there's no problem of tikkun kli when it comes to the food of animals. Yet over here, we see that we're allowed to carry the besamim lehariach ulahanif bahen lechola, and you can wave it in the air next to a chola, uh, which apparently was helpful. I'm probably not scientifically, but maybe in, in some other way. Umolo meriach, well, you could even roll it in your hands to create some greater uh, intensity of smell, that's fine. But here's where we get into the problem. But you couldn't cut them. Why can't you cut them? You just said that things which are typically eaten by animals, there's no tikkun kli. So what do you, who cares? This food is typically eaten by animals. They'll eat any leaves. If you have a you know vegetarian animal, a herbivore, they're gonna eat, they're gonna eat it. They're not gonna be picky about it. So then that's also food that belongs to an animal. So how can Rabbi Yehuda say on the top of the page that here we see where you're not allowed to cut it. But let's finish the brisa because we're not done yet. If in fact you did cut these things to get the smell which is of course the Gemara's code word for an Isser Darabanan. And if you were to break a piece of wood in order to make yourself a toothpick, you should not do that. So says the Gemara, that's a kasha in Rabbi Yehuda. Omar Lay, you asked such a good question. You overdid it. You asked such a good question. My gosh, you, you, you did good. You knocked me out of the park. The patravalasar was enough, but then you went all the way to bring me a case of chayv chatas. You got me with the first part of the brisa. You're right. It's a good point. But he kind of kicks back after he gives his uh, very gentle uh, embrace of the musr. And he says, no, the brisa that you just quoted from line two to line six, right here on Lamed Gimel, Lamed Bez, that was talking about bekushin. That was talking about with foods that are with vegetation that's very hard. However, when it comes to the Gemara is implying this, but when there's something that's very soft, that's what Rav Yehuda was being matir on the top line. So when it comes to something that's very soft, there's no problem with cutting it because as Rav Yehuda says on the top line, by ochle behema, ein behemishum tikkun kli. It's only a problem in the brisa when it's kosher. Says the Gemara, how can that be? Kashin. If this brisa is talking about kashin, is that b'nei malila ninhu? Malila is when you're able to roll something in your hands. If it's kashin, how are you mbolalin in your hands? How is that possible? You can't. It's it's wood with your molin in your hands. You're not crushing a, a stem in your hands. It's made out of wood. It's cushion. doesn't make any sense, says the Gemara. You're right. Let me give you a fuller picture of how the Brisa on the second line of this page should have read. We are about 10 lines down. One is allowed to roll it in their fingers to create a better smell. Kotmo ume riachbo. They can even cut it to create for a better smell. When is it that these things are mutter? And that's only if the vegetation is soft. That's when it's mutter. But if it's very, very hard, then it's not allowed. So that's how we got out of the problem because the Gemara says the Brisa can't be talking about kashin because it says molalin. How does the Gemara respond? 
One part of the Mishnah is talking about Rachen. The other part of the Mishnah is talking about Kashen, and everything is fine and good. About the Kashen, lo when it comes to vegetation that's very hard, as good as it may smell, you're not allowed to prepare it and cut it. That's not allowed. That's not what Rav Yehuda was talking about at the top of the page. And if you did, what's the din? And if in fact you cut them, that's an Isr Derabonon. You should not break off a piece of wood in order to clean out your teeth. Right, so all of that explains our brisa, uh, explains our Mishnah and the statement of Rabbi Yehuda as to how it could be that there is no tikkun clean. What's the lemaisa of this? The lemaisa is, is that if you have vegetation separated from the ground and it happens to smell good, so if it's soft, no problem. You can, if you can cut it, you can roll it in your hands. If it's cushion, you're not allowed to do any of that. And you're certainly not allowed to make a toothpick out of something in order to clean out your teeth. You should just stock some in your house. And uh, that's a much better way to go about it. Then the Gemara presents a steer in Bryce's, which will answer the same way we just answered what we dealt with above. We're about a quarter of the way down on Lamed Gimel on the base. Tani chada kotmo me riachbo, tani idach lo yiktimenu leha riachbo. So these are uh, not, not the same thing. One thing says that you're allowed to cut and smell. The other says you're not allowed to cut and smell. What do we do with these two prices? The same exact answer we gave before. When do we say kotmo that you're allowed to cut it? That's true only when it's rachin, only when it's soft. However, if it's kashin, then it is absolutely not allowed. So says the Gemara, let's try to compare this to a little bit of another world. The kashin, Am I low? The fact that it is a harder type of vegetation, why would that prevent you? Maishna, how is this different? Mehaditnan from the Mishnah that tells us, Shover Adam that one is allowed to tear apart and just break a barrel open. You're telling me you can't cut a small twig that's already been cut from vegetation in order to make it smell, but why? You're allowed to totally break a barrel open to get to the food. Your whole intention is simply to just get to the food on the inside. And furthermore, just to compound things, that when uh, they were with Rav Yehuda, he was mefasheach, he would peel away pieces of wood that smelled very good. He would give us a piece after piece. He would give us slivers of the wood that smelled very good. Sometimes the bark of a tree or the, the flesh of a tree can smell good. And what type of wood was it? Afal Gab, even though even though it could have been the, the handle of a very sharp uh, axe or, uh, or some type of cutting thing. So that shows you it's very hard. So it's caution and he's peeling it. So I don't understand. Why, why are we saying that the caution, when the vegetation is kasha, that you're not allowed to may do anything with it? But over here, we see two samples of where you are allowed to. Says the Gemara halfway down, lo kasha. Uh, don't worry, your question is not really a question. Harabi Eliezer, Harabanan. These two different tracks where A, caution is a problem, and B, caution is not a problem, is really a, just a fundamental machlokas in the Tanoim between Rabbi, Eli, Rabbi Eliezer and the Rabbanan. And here's the Brisa that teaches us their shitas. The Brisa can be a little difficult to read. We're halfway down on Lamad Gimel Lamad Beis. The Tanya, the Brisa writes as follows Rabbi Eliezer, Omer, no tell Adam kisi mishalafan of lachzos boshino. Rabbi Eliezer is lenient. One is allowed to take a kisim, a little piece of wood that is in front of him to uh, clean out his teeth. You're not allowed to pick it up unless it's in the, uh, the trough of an animal, unless it's in the, the, I can't remember what that thing is called. It hangs off of his face where they feed animals. 
There's a better word for it. I can't remember what it is. Elama Ibme Avus Shell Behemo. The Shavin and they both agree, Rabbi Eliezer and the Chacham, and both agree Shaloyik Temenu, that it's not appropriate to cut a uh, to cut a toothpick out. It's just that if you have one in front of you, that's where their machlokes is. All right. This next part of the Mishnah is not this part of the of them agreeing. This is now back to Rabbi Eliezer. And if in fact you did cut it, to make yourself a toothpick, or to make a key to dig out something that would help you open a door. If you did it by accident on Shabbos, you have to bring a korban. And if it was had it been intentional on Yom Tov, under those circumstances, you would get Malkos Arbaim, you'd get Nisr Don Nisr Lab, Rabbi Eliezer. What did the Chachamim say? They'd say in both cases, it's only a din de Rabbana. So they have a fundamental argument in regards to the making of a toothpick from a larger piece of wood. Rabbi Eliezer would say that it's an Isr Doraisa, and the Chachamim say that it's an Isr de Rabbana. How then does this come back to our case of Kashin? So it says the Gemara, it explains for us two-thirds of the way down, Rabbi Eliezer, the Ka'amar Hasam Chayv Chatas, Rabbi Eliezer, who says that it's Chayv Chatas in regards to the making of a toothpick, here in regards to the case of cushion of the wood, that's very hard wood that you're, you're trying to break up, that's going to be an Isr de Rabbanon. Then the Rabbanon, the Ka'amri Hasam Patra Avalasar, and over there in the case of making a toothpick, we would say that it's only an Isser Darabanan, which was the lenient sheet of the Rabbanan Hacha, Mutter the Chatchila. Here by the caution, it's Mutter the Chatchila. So that's how we can explain the two different tracks in the world of vegetation that's caution, one strict, one lenient. That's how we then see the opinions of Rabbi Eliezer and the Chachamim. And then the Gemara says, Well, let's lay the Rabbi Eliezer. What about Rabbi Eliezer? Rabbi Eliezer is so strict. Doesn't he hold up the Mishnah that says, You're not allowed. What does he do? Tachlis. Like at the end of the day, we have a, a Mishnah that's explicit that allows for that allows for us to break open a barrel. So how can he say that it's usher? That that Mishnah is explicit and it's mutter. So says the Gemara that really what we would say in the name of Rabbi Eliezer, Ravashi explains, I'm a Ravashi, and with this we're going to close. Kitanya Hahi, when that Mishnah was taught about Shobra Sechavis, that was Bemustaki. That was a barrel that was already broken and it was restuck together with some clay. Just interesting to note that the word mastik means gum. I don't know if they are similar in their etymology. They seem similar, which is that it's a sticky material that resealed the barrel. And that's why you're allowed to, huh? It's also English. What does that mean? Blue. What? Blue. Is that what it's called? Is that what it's called? In... Oh, I've never heard the word. Okay, I didn't even know that. That's you're like a carpenter now. Okay. Mastic glue? Yeah. Of course you have. Yeah, I make it in my backyard all the time. I'm not part of the Karish family on this one. I'm out. I am. I am out. <laughs> that's why that was my association. Yeah. So that that's what the Mephorshim here explained is that the barrel was held together that way, and therefore Rabbi Eliezer allowed for it to be broken. Otherwise, had it been a full barrel, then it would not be allowed to be separated. We're going to start stop right here, ten lines from the bottom at Umegabe Bina Chater. We'll pick up tomorrow night, Emir Tashem with Daf Lamadalad, wishing you all a beautiful night. Thank you.